Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. I'm going to talk to you this week based on Acts 6 and 7 about another currency in the kingdom of God that is as equally as powerful and I don't think talked enough about and it's this currency called honor. About 2005, 2006, I started, helped start a church in Denver, Colorado, and I made a promise to myself because Dr. Graham was getting up in years or so I thought. He was in his early 80s at the time, early to mid 80s, and I said, no matter what we're preaching at our church in Colorado, no matter what series we're in, no matter what's going on, whenever Billy Graham breathes his last, I am going to cancel the series for that week, and I am just going to Give honor to Dr. Billy Graham, whose shoulders a bunch of young preachers like myself stand on. And I said, I'm going to interrupt our whole week and I'm just going to honor a life so well lived. Well, he would go on to live to be 99. He just wouldn't die and just wouldn't go away. And I love that. It's part of his spirit. And so it wasn't until 2018 where I got to finally stand up and I, I wore this exact suit several years ago, and I just gave a poor man's version of the best Billy Graham message I could give, which is, if you know Dr. Billy Graham, he just gave you the pure, unadulterated, unapologetic, unashamed gospel of Jesus Christ. He just threw down. There's so many amazing men and women preachers all over the world. This today isn't about singling out Dr. Billy Graham, but if I'm being honest with you, I stand on his shoulders in so many ways. I remember being a little child Uh, Sitting in my grandfather's living room, my grandfather was an incredible man of God whose shoulders I also stand on and give honor to. Rest in peace, Grandpa. But he always had Christian television going on in the house, and it used to drive me nuts because I wanted to watch my cartoons. But eventually I'd give in, and I can tell you and remember vividly so many times where I sat on the carpet My grandpa's sitting up in his chair and we are together and I don't even really understand what's being said or what's going on, but I sat under the teachings watching Billy Graham crusades on Christian television in my grandfather's room, not having any clue in the, in the late 80, in the late seventies and early eighties as I was a little kid that his teachings and his preachings would sow seeds into my life that in the late nineties would eventually cause me as a young 20 something to surrender and bow a knee to Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior. So as I'm up here today, I'm bringing honor to just one of many people who I stand on the shoulders of. And here's what's crazy though about Billy Graham when it comes to honor and standing on people's shoulders. You're gonna hear me say that term a lot today, standing on people's shoulders, is that Billy Graham stood on so many people's shoulders. In the mid-1800s, there was a guy by the name of Edward Kimball. He wasn't famous, he wasn't known, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't a pastor. Do you know what he was? He was a businessman who was faithful to teaching a little kid Sunday school class every week. The dude had money. The dude was successful in his own right out in the business world. And for some reason, he felt convicted and compelled, like many people are doing with our children while we get to sit in here and worship today over in the kids' areas. He felt compelled to faithfully teach Sunday school class. And he had a little kid in there who gripped his heart, little kid named Dwight. This was in a church in the Chicago area, just down the road from us in the mid 1800s. And there was this kid, Dwight and Dwight as a young person had to work to help provide for his family. And so he worked at a shoe store 
And Mr. Kimball loved this kid and so many other kids in his classes so much that he would actually go during the work week and visit him and encourage him while he was at work at the shoe store. And eventually this person fully surrendered and gave his life to Jesus Christ because of this man and through that Sunday school class. And this young kid's name was Dwight L. Moody who we now know represent Chicago, right? Who we now know was one of the greatest evangelists in modern times, particularly in the United States of America and in Britain. Just an incredible force for the kingdom of God. So one faithful Sunday school teacher gave Dwight Moody his shoulders to stand on as a young, impressionable human being. And then he started preaching the gospel in one of Dwight Moody's crusades. There was a man named Wilbur Chapman who was sitting in the audience and He gave his life to Jesus at this crusade while he was listening to Dwight Moody preach. And he quit everything he was doing and he started to become an evangelist and a preacher like Dwight Moody. And John Wilbur Chapman was giving a crusade and sitting in now his crusade years later was a young professional baseball player, played in the National League. His name was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday radically gave his life in that crusade to Jesus Christ and he quit. That was, man, I don't know that I could do that. That was my dream. He quit professional baseball and started traveling as an evangelist and preaching all over the place. And one time he was preaching in one of his crusades and there was a man there by the name of Mordecai Ham, another very astute, very successful businessman, had the world at his fingertips, had everything this world tells you you need to have. But Jesus got a hold of his heart in that Billy Sunday crusade and he gave his life to Jesus and he quit the business and he started traveling just like Billy Sunday and he started preaching. And one day at one of his crusades, he found himself in Charlotte, North Carolina And in the crowd in Charlotte, North Carolina, there were thousands of people. There was a young 16 year old kid by the name of Bill little Billy. And Bill went there just to hang out with his teenage friends. In fact, he would say in a biography, he kind of went there to mock it and make a little bit of fun of it. But it was in that moment where Jesus grabbed a hold of a young Billy Graham's heart. Do you see how many people, when you start to trace the bloodline and the family tree of faith that it takes for every single one of us to be who we are in Jesus Christ? And I just wrote in my notes here, Forest City, yes, our relationship with Jesus Christ is incredibly personal. Because the spirit of God dwells on the inside of you. So there's this very personal dynamic to our relationship with Jesus Christ. But what I want us to remember and honor today is that although it is very personal, it is even more communal, your faith is, than it is personal. If you were to stop and you were to start tracing and doing some history and thinking about your own spiritual family tree, you could go back generations and generations and hear about people you never even knew or heard of that if not for what they did for someone who did something for someone who did something for someone who did something for someone else who eventually did something for you, you wouldn't be sitting here under the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ as we speak. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter three, do not withhold honor from those who deserve it when it is within your power to act. Now, for a few minutes today at church in Rockford, Illinois, this microphone and this three-piece suit, (laughs) I'm kidding, it gives me a little bit of power. Power is a dangerous thing if you do not use it, right? So I'm going to spend the rest of my minutes using this microphone in a chance to speak with all of you guys and everybody listening online. I'm going to use it to give honor where honor is due. We get to Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7, 
And I want to challenge you because it's, it's too many verses to, to read in one service. So I'm going to cliff note through it. I want to challenge you to go back this week and read the fullness of the text because it is a powerful moment in the history of the church. This person that the Bible talks about in Acts 6 and 7, this person we're going to look at today, we literally all, and I'm not being, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not, this isn't hyperbole. Every single one of us is able to sit in this church and worship freely, precisely. Precisely because we stand on the shoulders of people like this guy, Stephen, that we're about to look at. The reason I dressed up and put a suit on, yes, I'd love to honor Billy Graham, but ultimately, I want to honor Stephen. I want to honor the first martyr in the history of the Christian church. In Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 7, as we pick up, here's what was happening. The church is exploding. It is growing literally by the thousands, the book of Acts tells us in this moment, and there's 12 people trying to run it. And so they're getting in over their heads and there were some widows, right? Because James said that the pure and faultless religion for Christians is to take care of what? Orphans and widows. This was a very serious practice of theirs back then. And some of the widows in a particular group of, it said Hellenistic Jews, you can read in the scriptures, they were getting passed by and forgotten about in the distribution of food. But the 12 apostles are like, hey, we got to travel from church to church all over the cities so that we can preach and teach the word of God to all these new believers. So what we need to do is we need to empower some volunteers. We need to empower some people to take care of the daily distribution of food. And so they said that they would take seven men who were full of wisdom and seven men who were full of the Holy Spirit. They would lay their hands on them and bless them. And they would now be in charge of something that was super important in the early church, which was the distribution of food to people who couldn't get food for themselves. And Stephen was one of the seven that they picked. So it says this, In Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Which is pretty awesome. Now Stephen, listen to what the word of God says about him. A man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose However, from the members of the synagogue, anytime there's great signs and wonders happen in the church, you can always bank on opposition, right? From the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. It goes on to say, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Now listen to this. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw his face was like an angel. Now I'm going to paraphrase 
about 30 some verses because Stephen then gets the floor to speak up and defend himself in the Sanhedrin. And he gets up and does not make defense for himself. He gets up and he starts preaching a radical, intense gospel that would actually be the catalyst that would get him killed where he would be the first martyr in the church of Jesus Christ. So here's the Cliff Notes version. He just starts by going through and he takes a long time to do it. You can see it if you read it this weekend. He just starts going through a long list of great men and women and prophets in the Old Testament. He starts with Abraham. Then he starts talking about Isaac. Then Jacob. Then Jacob's son, Joseph. Then he starts talking about Moses. Then he starts talking about the history of Joshua. Then he starts talking about the history of the great King David. Then he ends by talking about King David's son, the next king of Israel, King Solomon. He's given them this long lineage that they would have all known. And it's like, where are you going with this, Stephen? Well, here's where he goes with it. Listen to how he chooses to end a sermon. I'm going to land the plane a little softer this weekend than he did. Listen to this. You stiff-necked people. (laughs) Say what you really feel, Steve. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. And as you can imagine, here's what it says next. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And this is big here. Jesus doing what? Standing at the right hand of God. Look, Stephen said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. You can take that down for a few minutes before we read again. We got to stop and we got to talk about this everywhere in the scriptures both in the ancient Hebrew Old Testament scriptures and multiple times throughout the New Testament, every time you hear about Jesus or Jesus is talked about in terms of his place in heaven, what is he doing every single time? He's sitting. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. In fact, our most ancient creed, a creed the apostles came up with as a framework for the early church before they had the finished canonized word of God, it goes something like this. I believe in God, the father, the creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried goes on to say, he descended to the dead, and then on the third day, he rose again, where he ascended to heaven, and you know what it says next? He now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and he will come again someday to judge the living and judge the dead. It's it's not just by accident or randomly that he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. It has two indications there. The first one is this sitting at the right hand of God is a sign of complete and total authority that Jesus has over all of creation. And then secondly, though, and I love this, this is the gospel. This is good news. He is seated precisely because there is no more work to be done To bring salvation back to mankind. Jesus on the cross. What did he say last in John 1935? He said it is finished. And then he breathed his last. 
He procured everything that you and I and anyone and whosoever will believe in him on planet earth. He secured our eternal peace, our eternal hope through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The work is finished. So we have a savior who now sits down. There is only one time. In fact, let me just show you one verse because there's several, but let me just read this because this is beautiful. Day after day, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, every priest stands And performs his religious duties. Again and again. The priest offers the same sacrifices. That can never take away sins. Isn't that the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over. And hoping for different results. Those poor priests. They were just doing what they were told to do. Every day they stand and offer the same sacrifices. But none of those animal sacrifices. Had the power to take away sins. But here's the good news. But when this priest. Talking about Jesus our high priest. When he had offered for all time. One sacrifice for sins. What did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And since that time he waits for his enemies. To be made his footstool. Can I just remind us of a beautiful gospel news is that the work for you is finished. You are enough. I know you want to be more. I know we all have goals and dreams. You should. Achieving and advancing and growing and being sanctified, that brings honor and glory to God. But the single first biggest foundation of our faith is that in our place and for us, may we never forget this or get tired of hearing about it. Jesus did every single bit of work through his perfect and innocent blood for you to sit here today and pursue peace, for you to sit here today and claim joy over your life, for you to sit here today and believe for your family members, for us to never get up, give, give up on people who are far from God, to never give up on ourselves when we feel far from God. You have a savior who has has completely finished the work. And now he says, come and receive it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Just keep coming to the father more and more. The work is done. We can rest. Thank you, Jesus. However, Jesus stands one time mentioned in all of scripture. And it's in this moment we find ourselves at this week. This is why I put a three-piece suit on. Stephen did something so compelling and so beautiful and so courageous and so faith-filled and braved that his creator, the one who knit him together in his mother's womb, the one who knows the amount of hairs on Stephen's head, the one who has good plans and good purposes for Stephen was compelled to stand in what? If the God of the universe will stand in honor for his his people that he created when he is in authority over them and he is in control of them and he's in charge of them. If he felt compelled to stand up in this moment when the first martyr of the church would spill blood so this early church could move forward in 2,000 years later, can I remind us, we get to sit here freely in church and worship without hindrance. We get to read the word of God where there's many nations around the world that still haven't had enough freedom procured for them, where they have to read the word of God in hiding and they have to meet to go to church in hiding. 
We have, because of the faith of people whose shoulders we stand on, this isn't about America, but can I just stop and remind us that part of the reason we get to worship freely and read the Bible freely without fear of retribution, part of the reason we get to get on social media and fight with everybody about everything and let our voice be heard is because there were some young soldiers that signed up to stand on shores and sit on borders and stand on walls and protect our freedom to be able to worship, even soldiers that don't believe in Jesus Christ. Even atheist soldiers, they signed a code when they went into the United States military that they would defend my right and your right to come here, put on a suit and give honor to who honors most deserved. Like we, and I say that to simply say, because of the freedoms that we found ourselves born into in this nation, it can be easy to forget what it took for this church to become what it is in 2023. We stand on the shoulders of martyrs that spilt blood for this thing to go forward. And Stephen is one of them. I think about the word of God. Let me give you something to think about this week as you crack open the word of God. Let's say you happen to be reading first or second Peter. Can I just remind you that every word that that pastor Peter wrote in his old age, when he wrote these letters that we call first and second Peter, do you realize that those were not just written by the breath of the Holy Spirit, but it was written by the blood of the martyr Peter? Do you realize that in 67 AD, Rome crucified him and he requested that that crucifixion would be upside down because he did not feel worthy of being crucified in the same manner as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you read the living word of God, the the beauty of it, it is breathed by the Holy Spirit. It is a living organism. It's alive and it's active. But let me remind you that it's partly alive because people were willing to die to pen those words. When you read the book of James, do you know he was like Stephen, stoned to death? We can forget that sometimes. James is a convicting book. But as I read it now, as I'm getting a little bit older, sometimes I'll just pause in honor that it took James's life from him for him to pen those words so that a young person like me in 2023 can keep growing and being challenged in my faith. When you read the gospel of Matthew, maybe this week, if that's the book you're in, just pause for a minute and remember that Matthew was stabbed to get to death somewhere in Africa as he was a missionary spreading the gospel, stabbed to death for those words to be put on page. And I could just keep going down the list when Paul, who we're going to be introduced to in the next few weeks as Acts starts to introduce him, would eventually in Rome be beheaded right around the same time Peter was crucified. When you read 1st, 2nd Corinthians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Romans, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Philemon, Titus. When you read all of those books, you got to remember that it took a man's life to be able to pen those words. And he penned them while unjustly in prison for a city. I just came to say that it is so healthy for us as Christ followers sometimes. We can without even meaning to. I don't mean this convicting. We can just without meaning to become myopic in our faith and make it so personalized that we forget about the incredible, beautiful, brave and courageous and rich history that the church of Jesus Christ was founded upon. Martyrs, people who had so seen Jesus and tasted and seen his goodness and who he was that they were willing to die for the cause. Let's go on to read about Stephen's moment. It says, at this, they covered their ears. They couldn't take it anymore. And then yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed Stephen 
Try and imagine this. This isn't a made up Sunday school story. Like this really happened. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we'll talk about in the next several weeks. He would go on to be Paul and write half the New Testament. But at this point, he was part of the people saying, it's okay, I I give you the clearance to kill Stephen. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Can you imagine that? I'd like to say I'm like Stephen, but there's no way if I'm getting pelted by rocks, I'm just going to stop and have a prayer time. That's a good time for a quiet time. Just getting pelted by rocks to the point of death. But yeah, let me stop and have some prayer. This is who he was, though. He stopped and prayed, and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, and he cried out. Listen listen to his last request, his last prayer request before he dies. Lord, do not withhold, do not hold, excuse me, this sin against them. What? But... The person whose shoulders Stephen stood on, Jesus, said the very same thing, right? When he was at the cross. Father, forgive them. The ones who are killing me right now, the ones who are putting nine-inch nails through my hands and feet and a crown of thorns on my head and spitting on me and beating me and mocking me and laughing at me, playing games to see who's going to get my clothes. Father, forgive them. They don't really understand what they're doing. Peter, his last prayer request Right, Trevor talked about it earlier. When we pray and we petition God, what's he give us? A peace that passes understanding as chaotic and crazy for us to imagine as this scenario was. uh, Stephen seems to be like the most guy at peace in this whole crowd. And he's getting pelted to death by rocks. When he said this, he simply what? He fell asleep. Do not withhold honor from those who deserve it when it's within your power to act. I don't know how heaven works. We, we, we get told a little bit in scripture about what heaven looks like and what's going on up there. But here's what I do know for city. It's gonna be good. <laughs> and I don't know if Stephen would have a clue that some young, unknown buck like myself is in Rockford, Illinois, someplace he never would have saw or knew existed. I don't have a clue if he knows in heaven right now or even cares that I'm giving him some honor, one of our forefathers. But if he can hear it, just on behalf of all of us, for all the martyrs, past, present, we have about 5,000 recorded martyrs around the globe in our time right now. You understand that? Future martyrs, people that are willing to do things that you and I will probably, no one in this room will ever be asked to do for our faith. I'd like to think a bunch of us would. I'd like to think I would, but I don't think we'll ever know. Maybe, but I don't think so. But there's people all over the world that are having to make that choice every single year. And I want to honor the shoulders that we stand on. Now, let me personalize this. And I want to just ask two questions as we wrap up today. The first question for a city is is simply this today. Whose shoulders have you stood on? When was the last time you thought about your faith story and how you got there? Of course, let me just make this clear right up top. The ultimate reason we are saved is because Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, woos us home to him. He's the chief author of salvation. But here's what else we equally know is true. God is notorious for using people in his sovereign plan to bring people home. Billy Graham, they believe, had a reach of 2.2 billion people 
in the five and a half some decades or six decades of his ministry, 2.2 billion people were reached through a man who just got boldly got up and invited crowds to come out and eventually in his older age started filling stadiums. You think Taylor Swift's got it going on right now. She got nothing on Billy Graham and what he did. Stadiums he filled. Decade after decade after decade. Not one tour for one year. Decade after decade after decade. 2.2 billion people. I'll just personalize it for me. I stand on the shoulders for a city of my mom and dad. Now I realize a bunch of you are, are, are not in a place to have that story. And I, I hate that for you. Because that's God's original design and you deserved that. I don't want to trigger you or make you feel bad, but I was born in, and I didn't get to choose this. I didn't get to choose my parents, but I was born into a family for the last 77 years. My parents are not perfect like no parents are, but I watched my parents as a kid until today in their 77th year. I've watched my parents faithfully serve the Lord and honor their neighbor. I have watched my parents relentlessly not give up on me when I was at the height of my prodigal years in high school and in the early years of college. They never stopped unconditionally loving me. They never stopped speaking life over me. They never quit believing in what was possible through me if God would find me. My mom and my dad and my grandparents never stopped praying for me, continue every day to pray for me. I stand on the shoulders of my parents. Whose shoulders do you stand on when it comes to your faith? I stand on the shoulders of a mentor named Jeannie who just down the road heard her husband pastor to church that was called Rockford First Assembly. It's now called City First. But right after I gave my life to Christ, I moved here and she let me work with her. She let me intern as a young, dumb 20-something who knew nothing about hardly Jesus and definitely nothing about church or ministry. But she saw something in me when I couldn't see anything in myself and she put me to work and she would love on me and take care of me and provide for me. She would yell at me and rebuke me because that's part of love too, right? And then eventually, after I graduated that internship with her, she did something I never expected to do. She hired me to be one of the youth pastors down the road, and it forever set the stage. She let me cut my teeth in a safe place of unconditional belief and trust and love. I would not be up here preaching if it was for not for that woman, Jeannie. I stand on her shoulders. She's part of my faith story. I want to bring her honor. Whose shoulders do you stand on? What if this week... What if, I'm just saying, you started thinking back and tracing back your faith family tree, your bloodline as it relates to the kingdom of Jesus. And what if there were some people in that faith story who were still living? I got several. I, my, my dad mentioned a couple weeks ago, because he watches every sermon wherever I'm at online. He's probably watching right now. He goes, you sure talk about your mother and I a lot in your sermons these days, son. I go, I know I do, don't I? And we left it at that. But you know, you know why? I'm honoring my father and my mother because I stand on their shoulders. My faith, the chief catalyst, again, apart from the wooing of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, it, from Jesus Christ, my faith, what made me come home in my deep years of rebellion was reflecting on all the years of faithfulness I saw my parents walk through, a joy and a peace they had when I was all trying to be popular and hustle and grind and make something of myself in my 20s, I was miserable. And I finally looked and said, my parents are way happier than me. And I think they would tell me, in fact, I know they would tell me, it's Jesus is their source. 
I stand on their shoulders. I, I stand on the shoulders as a preacher of guys like Billy Graham and uh, dead guys like Charles Spurgeon, who was dead long before I was alive. But I've read so much of his gospel teachings. I stand on the shoulders of so many different men and women who have preached the gospel that have taught me what it looks like to preach the gospel. What about your faith journey? What if we just reached out this week, a text, a phone call, an email? Mom or a dad or an uncle or an aunt or a friend or a coworker or a stranger who brought you to church maybe the first time where you received faith in Jesus Christ. What if you just reach out to them this week and said, you know, honor is a currency in the kingdom and I'm about to give you honor because you deserve it. I want you to know exactly where I wouldn't be if it wasn't for what you did in my life in the name of Jesus Christ. How beautiful would that be? With this many people in a room, how cool would that be? I'm going to call my parents this week and tell them for the thousandth time how grateful I am. I'm going to give Jeannie Mayo a call this week. Tell her that I got to preach again this week in the gospel and I wouldn't have ever had a chance to get up there and do it if you wouldn't have let me long before I deserved to get up and hold a microphone and try and learn how to preach. It was awful too, by the way. You think today's bad. It was real bad back then. Second question is this. Anyone standing on your shoulders? That sounds convicting. I heard it like, oh, I didn't say that to be convicting at all. I say that simply because there are very few things in life for a city that will bring you more joy and fulfillment and contentment than when you bring a few young bucks along the way with you. You've been some places. You've been some places. You've done some things. Give yourself some credit today. You've learned some things. You've been through some fires. You've been through some trials. You've experienced multiple rhythms and seasons of life that younger people haven't fully experienced yet. Do you realize the gold mine you have on the inside of you, even if you think you're not worthy of much, even if you don't think you're wise, even if you don't think you have much to offer? No, you have years and years of eldership to offer to the younger generation. Can I challenge you, younger generation? Look for shoulders. Don't just wait for shoulders. Don't wish for shoulders. Go out looking for shoulders. Empower elders in your life. Empower older generation in your life to teach you some things that you, and I know when you're younger, the irony is you think you've learned it all and know it all. It's in your zeal. We all do that. I get it. But let me just challenge you if you're a younger person in here to find some and pray for some mentors in your life that will radically, unconditionally love you and believe in you and speak truth to you and every now and then yell at you, but mostly hug you and pat you on the back and say, you can do this. And let me talk to the older generations. There there is such a a gravitational pull of the human heart as we age to get grumpy. Get off my lawn, guy. Listen to me, Forest City. I speak to older generations now. I'm kind of in the middle generation, right? But but I speak to to the older generations. Can we pray to, to, to bypass that spirit of grumpy old man or woman? These younger people, they're ruining the world. This world's going to hell in a handbasket. These participation trophy kids, I can't put up with it anymore. One more single bit. These dumb young kids, they're ruining, they're ruining something that used to be great. Can we not forget that the generation that's now dead, that was before you, said the same thing about you? The world is changing. Change is hard. If we are not a beacon of light, to the younger generation, then somebody's going to be. Hollywood will be. 
The music industry will be. I wouldn't want to hang around grumpy people that think I suck just because I'm young. I want to be around. Do you know the power of having some elders in your life that, that for all of your quirks and isms that come with the new generation, look past that and say, God has set this generation up for the, his kingdom to move forward. The gates of hell aren't prevail, uh, prevailing against the church, which means the next generations much as they might frustrate you, God has an incredibly sovereign and divine plan for them for a city. There is gold in the hearts of these kids if we can look past all the stuff that makes us grumpy about them. If we can get over our fear of an ever-changing world and say, God, if it's going to change, let me control some of that. Let me be a part of the change. Let me speak into these young people's lives. Let me give them something that most people that are older won't. Let me share my wisdom. Let me share what I've learned. Let me tell them about the hard knocks of life that I've went through. Let me pull them up when the world's trying to push them down. We can be that for each other. So uh, one more thing. So what if you say, I don't know whose shoulders I'm, I'm, I'm letting people stand on. Just start praying to God for that. Pray for God. Say, God, send, send some people in my life at work, at home, in my family, my friendship circles, what a strangers if it be, send some people who I can lend a shoulder to, that I can give some, that I can pay some prices for. And then last but not least, I know I'm wrapping up. I've just missed you guys, so you know I'm gonna talk long. I'm wrapping up. I know y'all are looking hungry. I'm gonna wrap up. The ultimate shoulders. I think of Isaiah 9. I was reading it this morning. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And you know what it says next? And the government of this world is on his shoulders. Deep breath. Times are crazy, y'all. I get it. It's 24-hour news coverage cycles. It's crazy. It's crazy. The world's burning. The world's going out. The world's going... No, the government is on the shoulders of the person who spoke this world into existence. It's not always going to be easy growing up in this age, but Jesus will get his sovereign way and his way is good and his way is kind. The government is on his shoulders. Wonderful counselor, prince of peace, right? It goes on to say, just starts listing all of these beautiful, kind attributes of the God that we serve. Jesus is the shoulders that we ultimately stand on. I talked about human beings today a lot, including Stephen, because the word of God talks about him. But I ultimately put on a three-piece suit to honor the name that is above every name, that at that name, every knee will bow someday and every tongue will confess someday that Jesus Christ truly is Lord to the glory of God, our Father. I ultimately put on a suit today to honor the one name, the book of Acts says, one name under heaven with which men can be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. I came to honor the, the, the person who was crazy and audacious enough in John chapter 14 to say, I am the way. I'm not a way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And nobody can get to the Father except through me. Eternal life comes solely through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's been moved forward by the blood of martyrs ever since. I would be crazy to think that everyone in here has a relationship and is received by faith, Jesus Christ. And so we now pause for the most holy moment in any church service. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just simply finish by asking this question. If there is anyone in the sound of my voice and you do not and have never 
received by faith the saving work and the saving perfect blood of Jesus Christ for your sins. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. The Bible says, no one is righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the good news, it says, but you can be justified freely. Doesn't cost you anything, it costs Jesus everything. And listen to me, he was pleased to take your place. He was pleased to be your substitute. He's not mad at you, he so loves you that he came and sacrificed his body so that you wouldn't have to sacrifice yours. When I'm inviting you to know Jesus Christ, I am asking you to receive an invitation of the single greatest person you will ever give your life to and your life for. Nobody has your best interest in mind more than Jesus. Nobody on planet earth loves you and can love you more than Jesus. Nobody has the power to forgive you except Jesus. If you would like, if you say something stern in my heart today, Chad, and I'm ready to receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and you've never done that before, with every head bowed and eye closed, would you just raise your hand because we are going to celebrate and we are going to pray with you. Keep it up. Nothing to, this is nothing to be ashamed about. This is the best day of your life, whether you realize it or not, keep it up. Cause I just want to see so many hands. Thank you. Yes. And yes. And yes, keep them up so I can just see who I'm praying for. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Yes. So beautiful. Let's pray Rockford. Let's go. Jesus. People have crossed over from death to life today. This is what it's all about. People have by faith said, I need to receive the forgiveness and saving work of Jesus Christ. And so now as an act of, if they've acknowledged that, the Bible says, if you will confess your sins and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you will call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Those of you who raised your hand, start to call on the name of the Lord Jesus right now. Receive his invitation. It's all you have to do right now is just receive by faith the saving grace of Jesus. And now Jesus, we ask that you would do what you promised you would do. And what we see you do powerfully in the book of Acts, you would begin to fill them with your Holy Spirit. Begin to fill them with a new mind. Begin to show them that they are instantly in this moment, a new creation. The old is now gone and behold, they walk new in their original intent that you designed for them. In the name of Jesus, we pray this blessing over every single person with their hand raised. And God, I finish by praying a prayer of honor to you. I thank you, God, for your mercy. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness to us and kindness to us and all whom you've made. We bless you for our creation, God. We bless you for our preservation and we bless you for all the blessings of this life. And I pray, God, that we would walk out of here with such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise to this world, not just with our lips, but with our lives by the giving up of ourselves for the good of other people. God, I pray that every single person in this room would walk out of here better than they walked in, strengthened, encouraged, that we would walk out of here with postures of honor and appreciation for what it has taken for us in 2023 to get to sit here and worship. Jesus, more than anything, we honor you. We thank you, the name above every name. We give you all praise in the name of Jesus. And all my friends said, I love you guys so much. It was so good to be back with you.